Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Critical Witness. It's a little bit later than usual on a Thursday evening. Uh, we'll blame time zones for this one, but hopefully you can join us and uh, welcome. Well, we're going to be talking uh, with David Robertson in a moment. Uh, we're fairly flexible as where the conversation will go, and uh, but we're going to get straight into it because we've got an hour and a half and... Uh, we can always put announcements about the show later on. But uh, Dan is here as well, so full show. Uh, David, welcome. Nice Thank to you. virtually meet you from the good. other side of the world. Yeah, good day, um, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, by the way, from the future, because I'm a day ahead of you. It's Friday. Of course. Yeah, That's true. Already, that is true. Already in the morning. It's like um, speak, speaking with a, with a time traveller. But not with an Australian accent for for people who don't know you. So it'd be good to start with uh, who you are, if people don't know, and uh, how you became famous, <laughs> um, and what what. Um, how, let's start with the easy one. How did you become a Christian? We'll, we'll go with that. And okay. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we'll go with who I am. I'm I'm holding up here a uh, cup that gives you a little clue. So <laughs> that's, uh, I'm from Scotland. Actually, um, I'll tell you a secret, and hopefully nobody's listening. I was actually born in England. Ooh. But I, 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 I in, in, in Berwick upon Tweed. So there's yeah. some argument about whether it belongs to England or Scotland. Um, and, uh, you know, I always say, well, Cliff Richard was born in India. Does that make him Indian? So, but no, I was, uh, uh, I am a Scot. Um, I'm not famous. I mean, maybe um, in some tiny circles. And I don't, I don't want to be famous because that would mean infamous, exactly as you put it there. <laughs> um, I was brought up in. Uh, my dad was a farm worker. I there were Christian home, Christian brethren. I rejected that when I was about eleven or twelve years old, to the extent of I just refused to go to church. Um, I became a Christian when I was sixteen, uh, much to my annoyance. I fully empathise with C.S. Lewis's the most reluctant convert in all Christendom. Um, and my aim was to be a secret Christian because I didn't like Christians and I'd just become one. So, uh, but I got outed in, in effect in, in, in the lang in today's language or maybe yesterday's language, I came out as a Christian in my final year at school. And what ever since then, I, I mean, the prayer that I prayed when I, before I became a Christian was God, if you're there, you show me. And I'll serve you the rest of my life. And basically, the rest of my life from then has been that. Was there anything that particularly convinced you that that was the way, where you needed to, before you were outed or you came out? Was, was there anything particularly that confirmed it to you as true or? Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are several factors, a lot of different factors involved. I mean, every conversion, if you like, is a, is a link, uh, a chain of a thousand links. Um, for me, some key ones were this was I desperate I tried really desperately hard to be an atheist, but I couldn't do it. It was just so dumb. You know, it was like <laughs> like trying to believe the world is flat or something, you know, 
or that Elvis lives on the moon and comes back. Well, atheism just didn't make any sense. And I really wanted to believe it. I mean, I, I thought emotionally, culturally, psychologically, it would be so much better to actually be an atheist. Um, and I couldn't do it. It just didn't make any sense. So that was one thing. And then um, there was the whole question of the concept of evil. So evil drove me to God rather than away from it. And then it was just, uh, I, I would say, a spiritual experience. I prayed that prayer. I, I came out of a, uh, a hall at midnight and nothing happened. And then two weeks later, I decided I would go to church. And I went down to this little highland church in, in the village of Ballantor in, up in Easter Ross. And as the waves were lapping against the church walls, because it was right beside the sea, and we were singing a psalm, it, it just struck me, you complete idiot. Of course God exists. Nothing makes sense unless God exists. And I knew that the rest of my life would be the second half of that prayer. And so, you know, I would say scripture, reason, uh, the community of the church, these were all significant factors in my coming to faith in Christ. But ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born of the Spirit of God. I'd be interested, just before I, I was going to talk about something else, but just as you mentioned it, you said you, you described your sort of view, essentially, of atheism as, as kind of untenable. Do mm -hmm. you still do you still consider that the case now? I mean, yes. you not, you've debated, you know, a lot of atheists, yeah. um, you know, quite, you know, you know, in, you know, intellectuals and things like that. Do you, you still don't consider it a, a sort of tenable view uh, at all? No, ultimately, no. I, I think, um, I mean, there are very, very nice people who believe very bizarre things. And atheism is one of them. And so Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. To me, believing that there is no God is the equivalent of me getting myself into a condition where I believe that my wife doesn't exist. You know, so, uh, and also you can doubt your own existence. You know, I, I think, uh, I think the intellectual case for atheism is incredibly weak. Um, it, within certain parameters, it works, but you you have to have those parameters, and the parameters are naturalism. Um, you know, you you basically have to ignore morality as anything other than a social construct. So if, if you want to exclude anything beyond the material, and if you want to exclude any idea of absolute morality, and also if you want to get rid of beauty, then sure, you can be an atheist. But if you accept that there is morality, that there is beauty, and that there is something beyond the material, then atheism doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, go on, Phil. No, no you, you had a question lined well, up. I was, was going to say, I mean, I, I became a Christian in 2005. I think I first heard of you in 2006 or 2007 when um, you published the, the Dawkins letters. Uh, my understanding, yeah. I think, because you, you used to post quite frequently on Richard Dawkins, um, Richard Dawkins Foundation, wasn't it? The, um, the His website, on, yeah. Yeah, the website and forum there. Um I'm interested to know what kind of what led you to to write that book, and uh, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of the, the book kind of stirred up a lot of anger. Uh, like a, you weren't, <laughs> you didn't seem particularly well liked by the online atheist community. Is there any sort of particular reason why that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you if you if you question any fundamentalist, they tend to get very upset because it's an emotional thing. Um, what I called the NFA, the New Fundamentalist Atheism, was not an intellectual thing. It was primarily a used intellect. I'm not saying that we're, you know, 
you know, completely dumb or anything like that. But it was primarily an emotional reaction. And Dawkins' website itself was like a kind of recovery center for ex-religious people. Um, and, you know, I remember one absolutely fascinating thing. I mean, I'll tell you why I wrote the Dawkins letters in a moment. But I was down in Cambridge and I was speaking at a, a bookstore when Borders was around. And I just happened to mention that there were an awful lot of angry atheists. And this man stood up, and I didn't realize at the time he was apparently a lecturer. And he stood up and he started shouting at me, what do you mean we get angry? We don't get angry. What are you talking about, you idiot? And he yelled at me for two minutes. I couldn't believe it. I was there just praying, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Keep it coming. And <laughs> at one point, one of his friends said to him, sit down, you fool, and shut up. You've just proved his point. And afterwards, at the end, he came up to speak to me and, and you know, kudos to him. He said, look, I, I want to apologize. I don't know what got into me. And I said to him, listen, mate, thank you so much. Do you want to come to every speaking event I do and just do the same thing? Because, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, he was just so angry. And that anger is really quite astonishing. I, I described it in this way. I wrote the Dawkins letters because I went into a bookstore and saw Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. And I thought, okay, I'd read Dawkins. I, I knew he hated religion. And I actually at the time thought, I have to read this book with as open a mind as possible, and maybe he'll destroy my faith, you know, maybe. And so I opened it with fear and trepidation. I didn't actually buy it. I just, uh, this sounds so mean, doesn't it? I, um, I got myself a coffee and sat in the coffee part of the bookstore and read chapter one. And then I was so amazed by how dumb it was, how shallow. I mean, and it wasn't just me saying this. Prospect Magazine, who had him as one of the top three intellectuals in the world, basically said, how could he write such a dumb book about religion? We always knew he had a book about religion, but not one this bad. So I started writing notes down, and then I went off and I wrote an open letter. Um, and I came back. By the way, I spent far more on coffee than I did if I'd just bought the book, because every day I came back, read a chapter, had a coffee, and wrote some notes. And since then, I bought about three copies of the book. Uh, um, so... But I, I wrote an open letter on the Free Church website. Now, what astounded me, this was incredible. I started getting all these emails from atheists. So I was shocked because the atheists were reading the Free Church website. I mean, Free Church people don't read the Free Church website, you know. So I was just like, wow. Um, and then one man wrote me and he said, I'm really sorry, David, for all the things they're calling you. I don't agree with you, but I don't think you deserve this. And I wrote back and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he was referring to the Dawkins website, which I then went to and saw that the editor had posted. I, I did it as a form, an open letter. So I did an open letter to Dawkins, which is a stylistic device. And I didn't expect him to read it, didn't expect anyone really, well, not many people to read it. Um, it was just helping me think through things because that's how I do things. And um, it had 600 comments after it. And I was an idiot. I started replying to them. <laughs> now, a third of them, you know, you know what it's like on social media. Don't get involved in this stuff. Well, <coughs> I didn't know. I was young and naive. Well, it was 2007, 2008. And, you know, I, would, I, I was that guy on the poster who's shouting up to his wife at 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't worry, dear. I'll be, I'll be up soon. There's someone wrong on the internet. <laughs> and... I mean, I would say about a third of them were reasonable criticisms. I would say uh, a third were, whoa, that's a bit much. But a third were, to me, as if I'd gone on to the Al-Qaeda website and criticized Mohammed or something. 
you know, it, it, it was astonishing, the emotional reaction. So, but I'm a Scot, and we're, we have a word that's called thrown. So I thought, no, nah, you scumbags, you're not getting away with this. So I just kept replying. And Dawkins banned me, which was hilarious, you know, <laughs> the, the, the center of clear thinking and so on. I mean, I wasn't being rude to people or anything like that, though I did have some fun with some of them, you know, like the guy who said, um, I can't argue with you because I can only argue with people who are intelligent and intelligent people don't believe in God. So when I suggested to him that was a bit of a circular argument, he um, he didn't know what a circular argument was. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, what can you do with that kind of thing? Um, but I then thought, no, you're not getting away with this. So I, I decided I would take my notes and I wrote a letter in response to every single one of Dawkins' um, uh, chapters in that book. And then Christian Focus said, look, can we publish? Can you publish? I said, when do you want it? They said, we want can you get it done for us by the end of December? I said, you want me to write a book in a month uh, or less than a month? But I did. And I remember it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life because it was very much a spiritual battle as well. And then it was published. And, you know, one, I'm not famous. Nobody knows me. No, you know. And then for some bizarre reason, it took off. I mean, it sold really well in secular bookshops. I mean, I discovered, I became very interested in the book industry. And I discovered in 2007, there were 180,000 books published in the UK alone. Can you imagine that? 180,000. Only 7,000 of them sold more than 3,000 copies. And I think the Dawkins letters sold about 50,000. Um, and it was translated into different languages. But it's not so much that it's sold. It's where it's sold and what it got me into. So I Borders Bookstores, for example, when they existed, they insisted to their managers that I be asked to speak because uh, when I went to speak at them, the events were always packed out. And it wasn't because anyone knew me. It was because the subject was so interesting. In fact, I'll just tell you one story about that and then you can come back. But I, I went down to Birmingham uh, in the Bull Ring, and there was a massive store there. And it was just before Christmas. And the book manager had obviously didn't want us there. And she put us down in the basement and put out 10 chairs. And I said to her, no, you're going to need more than that because a couple of churches have invited. I said, you're going to need at least 50. And she looked at me and she said, David, we had Lawrence Delaggio, the England rugby captain. Um, we had Nigella, you know, our, our top selling book here is Nigella's cookbook. We had Nigella last week. Uh, both of them had 50 people. And I said, okay, let me finish the sentence. You're an unknown Scottish Presbyterian pleb. You know, why would anyone come? Anyway, about 180 seats later, when she had, they kept putting out more seats and more seats, um, she, she called in security. And afterwards, she said to me, that was unbelievable. Never seen anything like that. She said, after I got over my shock, I thought, well, let's just rent a mob from the church. And I said, well, no, you were right. At least half the people there were church people. He says, yeah, but it's the other half. Every question you got was hostile. She said, I've never seen anything like that. I said, I loved it, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As our Christmas special, I'm going to bundle Dawkins' book with yours. So I just love that. Oh, just <laughs> amazing. That gives you the, so that's how I got involved in all this stuff. Cool. Do you, do you, still, do you still spend much time arguing with atheists online? No. Um, I, I, for a, a few years, I was on the Scottish Secular Society, and that was mainly because they were so abusive that it made me look good. So, I mean, anything that makes me look good, I'll go for. Um, but... <laughs> No, I mean, my, my aim was not to upset atheists, to be honest. My aim, people used to say to me, you must hate Richard Dawkins. I said, you're kidding me. I love him. 
because I think at the time I said, I, I've, I've counted, you know, around 30,000 people I've been able to communicate the gospel to directly. In other words, I mean by, remember the, remember the old days when we had face-to-face -face meetings? You know, people were actually in the room. Well, in, when that, that, in, in that golden age of yore, it was, it, I found it just incredible. So no, I was very grateful to him. And um, I mean, and, and he's still on my prayer list. I still pray for him. So, uh, but what I do now, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to, but I have to say this, I, I find that atheists generally struggle with, um, with a lot of these different kind of arguments. I think most people, I think the new atheism has become old and become quite stale and is sort of out of fashion with a lot of people. I, I think I'm, I'm more dealing with agnosticism or to be honest, hostility to Christianity and especially hostility to biblical Christianity. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that was kind of a, a natural segue. I mean, be interested just to kind of talk that, that distance between then and now. So if atheism has become stale in that sense, like what, what are you seeing? Um, that's replacing it, I guess. What what is yeah, maybe I'm unpack that a little bit more. What what do you mean by um backlash against biblical Christianity and, and that kind of thing that you're seeing in culture at the moment? Okay. I think where we're at, I mean Dawkins, I discovered that Dawkins wrote the God delusion. Um, not because of nine eleven, but when he discovered that a considerable number of students in his university in Oxford were at least theists, were Christians or Muslims. In fact, I got a lovely um, email once from a Muslim and a Christian together who said, please don't tell the, the boss and never use our names, which I didn't, which I thought was also quite sad that they felt this. But they were um, in one of Dawkins' students, you know, and they said, we're believers, you know, and they, they'd been, you know, hand-selected for their intelligence and all that kind of stuff. So there, there was that hostility. There was that new atheist fundamentalism and that anger, and it's still there a bit amongst some of the elites. Yep. But I think what's happened, and one of the things that we learned to do was quite simple, in, a, in the postmodern concept of a marketplace of ideas, we have as much right to have our ideas as anyone else. And I think what we've got now is a kind of soft atheism, or, or no, let me put it another way, I'll call it a functional atheism. So people don't care if you believe in God or if you have a particular religion in the same way as they don't care if, as long as it's like belonging to a line dancing society or a Trekkie club or, or something like that. So you do whatever you want, but just don't let it have any impact upon your life or anyone else's life. Um, and they, they also really, really like the idea of a compromised Christianity. In other words, where you wear the badge of Christian, but you just go along with the culture. And I think Christianity is incredibly countercultural. I mean, I find it really fascinating that people who call themselves progressive and radical are the most conservative uh, people that I've ever come across. They are unwilling to be challenged on absolutely anything, and they are fundamentalist in the extreme. Mm -hmm. I've definitely come across that on online in engaging with atheists, particularly those who would call themselves now the term ex-evangelical. Um, there's a, a new fundamentalism about how they go about things. And 
just as much as it's difficult to argue with someone who's KJV only and has this certain tendency towards, um, well, I guess the term is biblicism, but hyper-literal interpretations and not willing to recognize that there's a breadth of interpretation across Christendom. They've then become an atheist <laughs> and, yeah. and now they have exactly the same issue. They read the Bible only one way. They can't take that they're wrong and, or, or even that there's a, a nuance and a different view. But now that they're an atheist and you're a Christian, you're an idiot and you're just wrong. So I, it's just an interesting transition um, that there's a sort of fundamentalism on all sides, but mm -hmm. it does seem like there's a progression that if you do come across many atheists online that don't have their own platform and aren't interacting with Christians regularly, generally have a, a very antagonistic and um, yeah, it, it, that, that flavor of Dawkins, let's mock them till they convert uh, kind of attitude that was very prevalent. It's still, still under, there is an undercurrent there, I think, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, there, there is that shift. So I, Atheism was definitely a big thing that the church was sort of slow on the uptake in responding to. And I think Dawkins' letters worked quite well because it was so close to the original thing. Oh, God Delusion came out 2006, was it? And your letter yeah. came 2007? Yeah. Um, Alistair McGrath had, I mean, I, I spoke to Alistair about it. I mean, it was interesting because both he and John Lennox said, well, you've identified a market we didn't know existed. Because mm. I did actually write the book for my friends who weren't Christians. Yeah. You know, I find a lot of Christian books, even Christian apologetic books or evangelistic books are actually written for Christians. Yeah. And like, in particular in the US, um, when the Dawkins letters, uh, I'll let you into a few secrets here since you're so nice and it's since it's so early <laughs> in the morning and I'm still <laughs> not woken up. <laughs> but when the Dawkins letters got published in the US, you know, my publisher went around these Christian book fairs and they basically said that, half the people didn't know who Richard Dawkins was. And he was number one on the New York Times bestsellers list, which to me showed the insularity of the US, much of the US church, not all, but much of it. Yeah. Um, but then even more astonishing, the largest book chain said, no, we can't use that because it's too intelligent for our readers. And I thought, wow. you know, I've spoken in the US and that just wasn't true. But the dumbing down of Christianity absolutely appalled me. Um, and I found, by the way, can I go back to just something you said there on uh, just a couple of things? Um, one is, I think you're right. I think it's an astute observation that we too often react to something and we follow the culture. We need to be much more preemptive and see where the culture is going. So, for example, about five years ago, I, um, I, I could see because I'd read queer theory and I knew the history behind it and where Tatchell was going and everything that transgenderism was going to be the issue for the next 10 years. And when I said it, people said, you're crazy. Mm. Well, nobody's saying that now. Um, I'm not claiming to be a prophet. It just seemed to me to be a fairly obvious next step. Um, and I think that as well as, sorry, and the, one other thing is a bit bitty, but one other thing that you mentioned about the literalism, I, you know, first of all, I'm shocked that you don't think that the King James Version came down from heaven on golden tablet. <laughs> You know, I you, you, just, you know, you know, I just, uh, that, that's absolutely appalling. I mean, <laughs> or you could go the other route and say that King James was a homosexual king who was seeking to stop the Puritans radical view of, of 
church and state and squash the Geneva Bible. So why are you believing this blasphemous Bible? Both of which would be ridiculous positions. And yet sometimes people hold them. But the one thing I would quibble about is I don't think that KJV people only are literalists. I really don't. Yeah. I, they, they, um, I think, well, no, I just think that they, um, they, they would like to say they are, you know, we're just holding, but they, they, they pick and mix. I mean, right. Their principle of interpretation, you know, and, and abs when people say to me, do you, this is the kind of question you get asked, do you literally believe the Bible? Well, I'm saying, <laughs> well, yes, I do believe the Bible, but what do you literally mean, literally? Because if, you, if, if you're asking me, you know, one of the simple things is I said once in a church and a woman got up and walked out because she was so angry, uh, she should have listened to the rest of it. I, I said once, the Bible says there is no God. Well, it does. Psalm 14, verse 1, if you leave out the context, like the fool says in his heart, there is no God, hmm. you know, and my argument is always that a text without a context is always a pretext for what you want to believe. And so the, the two extremes are, on the one hand, there are those who take the Bible literally. And then on the other hand, there are those who, for many interpretations and advances of modern society, I'm saying, no, no, no. The, the, the principle is you take the Bible as it was written. And hmm. I take it, the word of God so if I say, do I believe the Bible literally, then when Jesus said, I am the door, no, he didn't mean that he was wooden and had a handle. You know, um, when it talks about the, you know, the sun going down or whatever, we still talk, we still use that language. It's, it's not a scientific statement yeah. of the movement of the sun, you know. And so there, there are lots of things that, that, I, I'm, I mean, I find myself in an extremely unusual position because uh, I do believe that the Bible is God's word, and I believe it is without error, but I also believe it's much more nuanced than people like to say, including many Christians. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, and there's, there's a couple of interesting points that just to make on that i think we've had we've had on our channel before the conversation of uh what what is apologetics for what is what is even what our channel's for is it to buoy up the church and make arguments that are just just intelligent enough to make christians feel comfortable um and feel like they can defend their faith or are we actually doing is is that what apologetics for and it does seem more so across the pond partly because there's only one real apologetics organization <laughs> within the UK. And I'd say that was Ocker, but that was tied to a more global organization for apologetics. It does seem tailored towards helping the church just confirm what they already believe to be true rather than really challenging and getting into these kind of conversations where actually there are parts of the Bible where the answer is kind of actually we have to wait and see because there's this many interpretations and no one can really say it's one or the other. Um, and, and allowing for that as we, as we do apologetics, that, that the Bible is there to, to wrestle with as kind of sake of wrestling mm -hmm. with, with God, that uh, it's not always going to be a one size, a, a one easy answer. Um, but I think there's some quite interesting things in that when we teach or go into apologetics, we can make it make it seem easy that we, that you have this right answer for that difficult question. And when a non-believer 
ask you this question. Here's, here's a range of answers you, that fit within orthodoxy for you to give. Memorize them and you'll be okay. Um, that, that, that seems to me a one, maybe an extreme or stereotype of apologetics, but I think it's a danger that we, we face. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really a question that more just a confirmation. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I, can I just, you know, piggyback on that a little bit because I think you're right. Um, you know, I mean, I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years, you know, I've been teaching it for 35 plus. Um, and it's, it just amazes me, you know, uh, I, I mean, I guess when I started off, you know, I once gave a talk in my school, in my final year at school, the history teacher asked me to, she wasn't a, a Christian, but on how the world was going to end, you know, I knew it, everything, you know, I just knew it. And I think the more I go on, the more real, I realize what I don't know, but that hasn't underpinned my, undermined my faith in the Bible. Okay. Um, what it's done is made me realize, whoa, you know, the word of God applies in every situation. I, 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 I often use a, a phrase that um, we don't need to make the Bible more relevant to today's society. It is relevant. It takes a particular skill to make it irrelevant, but that's a skill that we've developed quite well in the church. Hmm. Um, so I think it is God's word, and it's God's word for us today. So for me, that, that dare I say, it, is a fundamental. Hmm. I really struggle with the term apologetics for hmm. lots of reasons. Um, first of all, very few people are aware of um it's it's Latin origin, and they think it means apologizing, you know. And I'm fed up. I'm not going to apologize for the Crusades. I didn't do them. I'm not apologizing for slavery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it, uh, apologizing for other for what other people have done is, I think, to me, an absolutely absurd thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other thing about apologetics is people do have this impression that unless you're a professor from Yale or Oxford, you can't do it. Also, apologetics seems to be a predominantly male preserve, as, as is, by the way, fundamentalist atheism. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting who who their, their main people are. And uh, Dawkins himself has been accused of sexism, which I just thought was really amu- amusing at one level. Um, yeah. But I, I think there, there's a kind of cultural thing here as well. In the U.S., apologetics is has primarily been about... Um, it has primarily been to the church and for younger people. So in the U.S., they're scared of losing their younger people, rightly so, and they're beginning to lose them. And so they thought, well, we have to go out, out and teach apologetics to young people who are going to church. That's really what it was. Um, here, uh, I'm not sure, you know, you've, you've had the kind of UCCTF model, which personally I think has been brilliant and has done a lot of good. But my particular interest, and, you know, the, the, the Oka people, I, I think basically they were aiming at the people whom Tim Keller's Reason for God was written for, which is about 5 to 10% of the population. What I'm more interested in is what I would call pub apologetics, except I wouldn't even call it that. I, I, I much prefer the term um, persuasion, that, you know, that we're, we're seeking to persuade people. Now, my view, I mean, I, my degree is in history. My view is that all of the early church fathers were apologists in, in the sense of, to me, almost everything is about communicating the gospel. And, you know, apologetics is that. I, I just think this sidelining of apologetics into a specialist niche within theology has done a great deal of harm and has taken away one of our greatest weapons. When I look through the book of Acts, I find 
the disciples going from door to door. I find them uh, in the temple courts. I find them in the marketplace. I find them everywhere. And what they are doing is reasoning that Christianity is true, that Christ is alive, which was usually their starting point. Hmm. And I think that's what we need to do. So I, I don't mind the term apologetics, it, but it's just we have to explain it so carefully that I'm not sure how useful a term it is now. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. So I like your critical thinking thing, for example. So people used to say to me, what's your job as, as a pastor? And I'd say, my job is to get people to think. And yeah. I really meant that. I, I really meant that. And I would say that's still my job. It's hard because, I mean, um, not everyone is uh, by nature inquisitive, um, and I often think um, that it's really important for, for, for Christians, you know, you tend to give the best answers to the questions that people pose you. Um, if you've if you've had that, if you've thought of the, those that question yourself, you know, so when you talk about, you know, suffering or the crusades or slavery, things like that, if those if those if those are questions you've you struggled with, that's perhaps before being a Christian or as a Christian. Um, you know, they're the ones you're much more informed about and much more likely to give a persuasive, um, you know, answer to. But I think there is a, a large proportion of the Christian population um, who are not, you know, are by nature not inquisitive in that sense. And actually how they were brought into the faith was not via persuasion, uh, perhaps more uh, experiential, um, you know, not to say they didn't have, you know, good reasons for doing that, but they wouldn't, they might not be, you know, uh, be able to articulate in this kind of philosophical, um, you know, a language and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's difficult. So I mean, I mean, apologetics itself will always have a sort of limited scope, I think, uh, within well, the church. Can I push back on that a little bit? Mm -hmm. is, is it okay to disagree with you? Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we, yeah. we encourage it. Okay. Because you know, you, you know, your friend, you know, is much more intelligent. No, no, <laughs> but, no, no, no. Um, listen, guys. No, no. So that's a really, really interesting point. Um, here's a challenge I would make. Um, let's let's find someone. Is that someone's alarm going off? Let's try to work out whose phone that is. No, mine. I, I plead innocent. Um, We've got something the, going on. Yeah, Sorry about that. Going on there. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, so what I would simply say is this, look, I, I challenge, name me somebody who became a Christian who, who didn't come by persuasion. That's the first thing. I think, I, I think that's almost impossible because I, I think I'm probably using a wider definition. Secondly, I don't agree that people by nature are not inquisitive. I, every child I know is inquisitive. I think that what happens is it's not by nature, but by nurture, people are um, squashed out of being inquisitive. So the younger you are, the more likely you are to question. The older you get, often, the less likely you are to question. So I think one of the key things we have to do is not go and give people answers, but we have to get them to question because have been dumbed by our soporific, dumbed-down society into uh, this kind of thing that, 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 that stops them questioning. So Sorry, that, sorry just to interrupt you there, I think... The buzzing, it stopped. No, I think no, it's no, on your side. Going. We're we're both muted, David. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry, you're, you're I, mid flow, and I don't know what was going well, my on. Phone, uh, my phone is. I don't have a phone on, and there's nothing. You know, maybe it's an alarm. I don't know. 
Um, let me let me just see if I can see if I can if, if there's anything let me just here mute you for a moment just to check if it's yours yeah okay yeah it's definitely coming from from your side um, all right your, your mid flowing is just slightly distracting so, <laughs> so I'm trying yeah to, yeah no it is it's very distracting I'm just trying to work out what it is um, um I've got nothing on there's nothing hang on <laughs> Right, there got it. Go. I, I did work it out. It was a time. It was a <laughs> timer. It was go. saying. It was a timer saying stop. You had enough of these guys. No, no. But <laughs> we're, we're, look, we're dealing with something here that's really important for critical thinking. I here in in, in Sydney, I, I often get asked to go to churches where people will do series of questions non Christians ask. The only problem is that sometimes half of the questions are not questions I hear non Christians ask. Mm -hmm. So. One of the key things that we have to do is learn to listen to people, you know. So that's why, I mean, I read a lot and talk a lot to um, non-Christians and to other groups as well. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I, I think people are by nature inquisitive. I think we live in a culture which, like, for example, education. My experience of education was that largely we were taught how to think, not what to think. My view today is that education in the UK is so dumbed down, particularly higher education, that rather than universities, we've, they've become monoversities, and that it's all about um, indoctrination, to be honest. And I don't think the church should be about indoctrination. I think we should get people to question and I think if you look at what Paul did, if you look at what the early church did, that's what we should do. That doesn't mean that it has to be academic, you know, discussions. It can be. And, you know, we want more Christians to be academic in lots of ways. But I'll tell you this, it does mean that we have to be literate and it does mean that we have to think. So I refuse to accept that people, I think if you don't think you're brain dead and you're dead, uh, I, I refuse to accept that people don't think. And, and let me add just one other thing. I've been interviewed by, you know, top-notch journalists from the, the, you know, the Times, the BBC, and of course yourselves. And uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, I would say I've had tougher questions from 10-year-old kids from the housing schemes in Dundee than I've had from them. So I, I, it, it's how we express ourselves and all the rest of it. But I, I think we've missed a great opportunity in the church by bypassing uh, was it lloyd jones who said that preaching that god spoke to our hearts but he did so through the mind i think uh, to a large extent the evangelical church has reversed that and we think we get to the mind through the heart and i'm saying no that's not how it works so i'm not a you know uh, when you say apologetics it gives this idea of a kind of cold intellectualism i'm not that at all in fact that's what gets me in trouble because i can be too passionate and people don't understand you know that that's why I get on well in Australia because you know you can be as rude as you like to them and they they just think that's fun. Um, whereas in in the states, people took it far too seriously. But also, people don't like the passion; they really don't. You know, they 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 want you to just you know cool it down, chill a wee bit, and all that kind of stuff, and say, "Well, how can I chill about something that's so important?" Yeah. Well, to push back on your pushback, uh, I didn't. Okay, uh, I didn't. I didn't say that. Um, you know, every that you know that. By nature, we're not inquisitive. I said that some people within the church are not inquisitive, and I think that's largely self-evident. You know, in the sense that 
uh, you stop being inquisitive. You know, like you said, children are very inquisitive. They ask great questions. That's often why uh, magicians like to practice their tricks, you know, in front of, 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 of children because they're very observant and, and ask a lot of questions. But you stop, a lot of adults stop being inquisitive. You stop yeah. being inquisitive and you stop asking questions. And yeah. a lot of adults have developed a practice of not asking questions and therefore by de definition not inquisitive. And because yeah. a lot of Christians... They bring that into the church. You have a lot of Christians who are not inquisitive. They're happy to 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 with the essentials, but are not particularly interested in asking more critical questions and going further, asking tough questions, reflecting on things because they have they have developed that habit. Yeah. Um, but I, but I do agree with you. We are by nature inquisitive, but it takes it takes effort to thwart that. You know, to to to, to stop that being the case. Um, yeah. In, in terms of persuasion, again, I, if you're talking about, um, I think you're thinking more broadly in terms of, uh, you know, I was thinking more sort of verbal persuasion. But I think a lot of people's, uh, you know, salvation often does begin, you know, as I said, you know, some people, you know, Christ is revealed to them in a dream. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I had more of that in mind in terms of some people's sort of an, an experience rather than a, uh, you know, I'll, I became a Christian because, you know, well, the, I was going to say the ontological argument. No one's ever become a Christian because of the ontological argument. But uh, you know, the moral argument, or you know, the the the, the historical case of the resurrection, or something like that. Um, and sometimes I think most often it's a mixture. And I I, I, th I have you know, my experience is very much similar to yours. Actually, it was both that um, that that it made it made sense of my experience. I like um, you know what Immanuel Kant said. You know, I, I, you know. Um, you know the the moral law with uh, the moral law within me and the starry skies above me type thing, um, plus an experience. Um, yeah, so you you've got C.S. Lewis is you know I'm an experiential Christian. Um, you know I'm, I'm yeah I I uh, agree very much with what you've just said. Although I I would still I still come back to this. So I've had this. I've had people come actually often Muslims as well. And said, you know, I had a dream or this happened to me. And what I described to you in terms of my own conversion, you know, it, it was in, in the sense of sitting in that church, having that awareness. It, it was a, it was a deeply spiritual thing. But you ask why, you know, what, what, what does it mean? So you have a dream. Um, is that dream just because you've had too much cheese on toast the night before? You know, what, what does it mean? Where does it come from? Um, can your questions be experienced? And ultimately, for me, the, the foundation is the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, often my experience ties in with that. Sometimes when it doesn't, I have to look at that and say, well, hang on a second. What goes on here? Now, I, I'm acutely aware that I cannot make my experience the um, the bedrock of everything. So um, I, in 2011, I was seriously ill in hospital. Um, I had to be given you know, drugs for pain and stuff that there were basically um, psychotic almost. And so I had all kinds of delusions and, and and I thought I experienced certain things and I didn't, you know, I wasn't on a ship, you know, when you're in ICU or something, I just wasn't on a ship. I wasn't the King of Norway, you know, <laughs> Colonel Gaddafi wasn't after me. You know, <laughs> these are, these are all kind of things that, you know, if you'd asked me, I experienced them, but the experience was wrong. Now that's not to cancel experience, but it's just simply to say that, what, what you said was absolutely correct, Dan, that, that I think in our culture and in the church, we've compartmentalized. We've said, here's experience, here's intellect, here's emotion, 
you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying we're, we're, we've got to be much more holistic. It all goes together. And that for me is the absolute key. Just, uh, I know we're going to segue to something different in a sec, yeah. but <laughs> what, what uh, I was being interested in you, what, when you, going back to Richard Dawkins and the God yeah. delusion, he was talking about delusions. So what, what, what did you understand Richard Dawkins to be saying about Christians in terms of delusion? Do you, was he, was yeah. he, do you, was he saying we're actually deluded in a, in a sort of, um, you know, in a medicalized sense? Yes. Or evil. I mean, he, in, in the book, he goes so far as to say that he himself had been um, sexually abused by one of his school teachers, but that was better than being taught uh, Christianity at school. So, so what, what, what's interesting about, because I've been thinking about the last few weeks, is that um, it's, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, this, we'll get into maybe the, the culture sort of side of everyone wants to see themselves, well, a lot of people, um, because there's social capital in seeing yourself as a victim or you know, positioning yourself as a victim. And, and, it, and it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I kind of thought that, you know, the number one bestseller, um, you know, sold millions of copies was telling Christians was selling the idea that Christians are mentally ill. Yeah. Now imagine pick whatever group um, and how whatever group uh, you can think of t- today. Uh, we don't necessarily have to give an example. We can all think I'm sure of an example. And the most, the number one selling book was saying that they were mentally ill. They had, they were, they were, they were deluded. It wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be accepted, it wouldn't be palatable culturally. Why why is it acceptable to do that to Christians? To to for that to be yeah. the case for Christians and 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 for no one yeah. to bat an eyelid because I, I, I'm guessing that it's seen as punching up. You know, you can't punch down culturally, but you can you can punch, you can punch up. But that does that does that does that legitimize, you know, claiming that billions of people have a, a, a mentally deluded? Yeah, I mean I think to be fair to Dawkins, he he was he was a pretty equal opportunity offender in that regard, you know, mm-hmm. because he he was he's, he was strongly against Islam, um, and and actually got into a lot of trouble because of that, mm. you know. So when he retweeted a, a, a photo of a woman holding up in a burqa, holding up a, a a sign saying "Behead those who say Islam is violent," you know, <laughs> and which, you know, um, yeah, he he did get into trouble for. For, for saying that i would say that no he's not gonna say he he's going to say that we compartmentalize and that there are scientists who are christians but it's a cultural thing and they're just hiding from the reality so in effect he says much the same thing that we would say in talking about people being dead in their sins and trespasses uh dawkins is i think dawkins is a very soft racist he believes that if we were all you know western liberal you know in the in the evolutionary tree he thinks that oxford biologists are pretty well near the top um you know and that all because he believes that religion evolved he has a particular theory of the history of religion which is historically nonsense and logically i think doesn't make much sense but that's where he goes with it and so he imposes that framework upon everybody else and i'm I'm not convinced that his antagonism towards religion isn't widely shared. In fact, I think it is. And I can <clears throat> give you many examples. Um, I remember one time uh, a student who was coming to our church and three weeks into the new term, her parents came 
And I met them at the door and I, you know, I didn't know them. I said to them, are you, are you just visiting? And they said, yeah, well, kind of, we're visiting our door. I said, oh, who is she? And they pointed her out and I said, oh, she's just new. And I said, look, is everything okay? Because it's quite unusual for parents to come down just a couple of weeks after, you know, first term, first year. And they said, no, it, it's not. That's why we're here. And I said, oh, is there any way I can help? I'm sorry to hear that. And they said, no, no, you're the problem. And I went, what? what? And they said, no, no, so we don't want to talk about it. I said, no, no, sorry, guys, you have to talk about it now. Uh, you can't, you can't do that to me, you know. And they said, okay, we'll tell you. And this is what they said. I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but the, what they said was basically this: we brought up our daughter to be normal, so she didn't go to church or anything like that. When she came down to university, we thought that she would, you know, freshers' week, that she would, um, a couple of parties, get a boyfriend, you know, we. we we wanted her to enjoy herself and as long as she got on with her work and did, you know, and we started getting these letters home saying, mom, dad, I, I, I love this city. I, I love the university, et cetera, et cetera. And I love going to church. And I looked at them and I said, so you brought her up to be normal, to be an atheist. And since incidentally, by the way, I, I hate that atheist argument that, oh, you're just a Christian because you were brought up in a Christian home. Well, it, uh, quid pro quo, it works the same way. Anyway, she, um, uh, the, the parents said, yeah. And so I said, you came to check us out. You're worried about your daughter going to church. And they said, yes. I said, well, how did you find it? And they said, well, you were surprisingly normal. <laughs> now I wish at that point I'd kept quiet because <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't resist it. I just, I sometimes just get, my mouth gets me into trouble. And I just looked at them and said, well, you got us on a good day. Next week we do the child sacrifice, you know, and, and they, they like they look they looked at me for a nanosecond as though and I said, "Come on, guys, what do you think?" You know, and I know I've met people. I met one guy who said, "I would rather my son was going to all night orgies and taking drugs mm. than becoming one of you Bible Christians," you know, and I, I it, it's there is a, an antagonism and a hatred towards biblical Christianity that has developed within Western culture. And I, and I don't accept that it's because, oh, you've had control and you've done this. I just think people look for something to hate. And we are, we are an obvious and easy target. You're not allowed to hate other groups. Hmm. I think that's interesting. We'll probably go into a little bit more where culture is taking us, but just even on that point that I work in a, a interfaith chaplaincy and and uh, the sort of stuff that uh head chaplain who's a rabbi is dealing with the the amount of um anti-semitism has increased mm -hmm. recently and um mm -hmm. there is definitely that level of hatred for for the religious in general and i think uh, muslims um face it to some extent uh as well um but definitely with, with with the Jewish communities, but and it is increasing uh, within to, to, well towards Christianity and uh, and to the extent that well Christians are writing books about it. <laughs> We've got uh, so we're, we're at least in that front we're we're figuring it out that the culture sees us as the bad guys, and I think it's some um, one of the guys with the City Bible Forum has written a book on that. I think. Yeah, my pal uh, Steve McAlpine being the bad guys, which incidentally, just uh, hot off the press, this is an exclusive for you. 
uh, it's actually sold out. He's it's being republished yeah. because it's 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 hit a nerve, mm-hmm. you know. And we are perceived and seen as the bad guys. And Steve's an acute or an astute, <laughs> an astute <laughs> cultural cultural thinker. Incidentally, the Jews that's a very interesting one. The Jews have always been hated, mm-hmm. um, and I I, I am, I've always been fascinated by Pascal's observation in his Pensees that one of the great proofs for God is the continued existence of the Jews. Mm-hmm. I, I'm astonished at the depth of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. within Europe and also sometimes amongst liberal and left. I mean, I used to think it was just far right stuff and it is far right stuff. But most of the anti-Semitism I've met in my life has been left wing. And uh, I mean, I, when Corbyn was running, I remember the posters with Theresa May with stars of David and things like that. I think you are kidding me. You have got to be joking. Are we really gone down this route? And, you know, I have, um, I, I, as, you, as you know, I've, I've got involved in lots of different debates and uh, I had somebody who I'd got involved in a debate on sex and sexuality. He's a homosexual guy. And he wrote me a while ago and said, David, he, you know, I'm, I'm leaving Scotland. And I said, why? He said, well, because of the prejudice. I said, what do you mean against homosexuals? He said, no, no, no. He said, I'm Jewish. And it's just too much. Well. And and Scotland, as far as I know, if this is correct, Scotland's the only country in Europe that's never had anti-Jewish laws. I mean, Cromwell saved England from them, but Scotland never had them. We, we had this idea of the covenant and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I was just so ashamed that in rejecting, Scotland has rejected Christianity. In rejecting Christianity, we're going back. We're not going forward. We're, we're regressing. And um, I, I think anti-Semitism is, is a real problem in today's culture, by the way. That's one of the cultural things. Yeah. I, I think that even within the church, it's been an issue. <laughs> We've got major uh, reformers who are renowned for the way they've treated Jews. And so the conversations I have uh, with um, with my friend, uh, Rabbi uh, Alex is his name. And he, um, yeah, just uh, uh, talking about Jesus is, He's quite straightforward. He's quite yeah. quite likes Jesus, but talking about Paul and, and some of the the language towards Judaizers and things like that, he struggles with. And right and right, so and we have to work that through as Christians. How how do we go back to the fact that the earliest Christians were Jews? I mean, yeah. that's that's a fact that uh, took about twenty years of my faith to recognise that I needed to understand a bit more about Judaism to to figure out what Jesus was actually teaching. Um, so it's it's recognise that in our in our own teaching. And our own, uh, even our apologetics, if we're going to use that word, our evangelism, is uh, is being a bit, a bit better at listening to our, our Jewish heritage as Christians. Um, well, yeah, because I, I mean, I grew up in a church where we sang the Psalms, you know. So, uh, you know, there was, uh, and I know my father-in-law, for example, and well, sorry, my, my, my father-in-law, my, my predecessor in Dundee, Robert Murray McShane, used to pray an hour every day for the Jewish people. So that that is that is um one aspect of it. Hi there. This is Phil Dunkarf. Thank you so much for listening to the Critical Witness podcast. If you like what you hear, please do uh, subscribe, share the episode and write a review. It will help others find us. And if you really like what you hear and want us to grow, please do consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash critical witness. Enjoy the rest of the show.
was aware that there was a question about race and stuff so that maybe that mm. segues in um you yeah have that yeah i think that'd be so i mean look, let's go into that because i know yeah. that is the cultural aspect that would i think is the big big thing for you personally as well so it'd be interesting just to to talk about um what you faced around this and maybe some points of clarification i've got some some questions from from this article so what what is the story around just if you could give us like a, a two minute summary of what you faced in the last was it three weeks, four weeks, yeah. when the article was written, yeah. what, what the article was about, what happened. And um, yeah, we'll just have, have a yeah. chat about that. So I do a lot of writing and I write a weekly column for Christian today, sometimes more than weekly. They asked me to this week, they've asked me to do two. Um, occasionally I get asked to write for other people. I put an article or, something up every single day in my blog, uh, the Weefly. And um, I was asked by Premier Christianity magazine to uh, write a uh, an article on the upcoming interview from Meghan and Harry. Uh, and it was difficult for me because I had to do it before. Basically, I was to ask, to answer the question, why would a Christian not want to watch it? Um, and I, initially, I wasn't reluctant because I was going to watch it, but not. I mean, I'd rather watch paint dry, but because I was going to comment on it. But then I thought, no, no, I'll do it. So I got up early in the morning, very early, <laughs> about half past four, wrote the article. It was published. Um, the editor seemed very happy with it. Uh, and then within 24 hours, to cut a long story short, it was cancelled with an apology, in effect, for it being a racist article. You know, the usual language, it's hurt people, da, 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 da. Uh, I, I just couldn't believe it and because I used one phrase that Megan played the race card uh, and she did. You know, I mean, the, the fact that it was true was irrelevant. It's just that this phrase offended some people. And at that point, I just, well, what can you do? I mean, for me, uh, it was a, a, a really bad thing because it doesn't matter what the truth is. In today's world, I will be labeled as somebody who had an article pulled cancelled by a major Christian publisher because it was deemed to be racist. And um, there's nothing I can do about that other than just tell my side of the story. But uh, if people don't listen, there's nothing you can do. And it'd just be interesting to sort of clarify on that because there was two points that I, I picked up in some of the conversations was not just... Um, so I, I, I want to sort of pick that uh, phrase up a little bit in a moment, but there was also sort of mental health stuff that was picked up in in your article i was just wondering maybe we touch on that first um because you, you've written a there's oh that's right it was, it was about megan saying that she had suicidal thoughts through her, her pregnancy or after a pregnancy i haven't actually watched the interview myself so but there, there was yeah. something about the um her suicide her mental health came up and that, and that was picked up on in, in your article as well or at least from what I read of um, Sam Hale's article, and I probably shouldn't name people, but the, the premier yeah. article, there was apology and, and, and things like that. Um, was, was that something you picked up on, that, that people had cancelled you as well for how you'd handle the men mental health aspect of, of that interview? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, I... I, I wrote an article uh, on the for Christianity Today uh, for Christian Today, and they didn't pull it at all, which was a 
an actual comment on the whole thing. Uh, the actual article I wrote for Premier, I don't think mentioned mental health. I may be wrong, but I don't think it did. The, the Christian Today one did. Okay. And and I would take mental health, you know, also extremely seriously. Although the idea, again, can people play the mental health card? Yes, of course they can. You better give me this or I'll commit suicide. It, and that's happened to me as a pastor. You know, it's not exactly, um, how will I put it? Uh, you know, it's not, it, you, you can't, we, we, I just don't understand why we're so dumbed down about all of this, you know. Um, I think the thing with the, 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 why a lot of people took issue with the use of saying the race card is because uh, historically, or at least culturally now in this, in this moment, it's kind of seen as a sort of dog whistle, uh, that, that someone as a, a dog whistle to sort of racism and sort of uh, and, the, and those and those um, those ideas, you know, and, and, not, and whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But that is something that um, you know is at least perceived when someone says, "Oh, someone so has played the race card," um, that that says something about the individual that they are presuming to be the case that you know that that, that, that person holds certain beliefs about uh, race uh, that they um w would not support i mean in in on, on reflection do you think you would have changed that because of that uh you know could that have been no. worded in such a way no absolutely not i i regard that as cowardice i regard it as pandering to the middle class elites i think uh to be cancelled because somebody says if you say this it's going to hurt me or it's a dog whistle for whatever then no, no, I'm sorry. I, I absolutely will not be dictated to about what I can and cannot say. And if people want to think ill of you, they're going to think ill of you anyway. So, you know, for, I mean, let me just, going back to the actual article, which was uh, which was cancelled, um, I, I actually didn't mention mental health mm. in the cancelled article. And you see, these things all get conflated. So can people play the race card? Yes, of course they can. What do you but what do you mean by that? What do you yeah, mean by that? Yeah. So when you when you say someone plays the race card, what what do you understand that to mean? Oh, people say, well, because of the color of my skin, you have to listen to what I say or you're guilty of racism. Which I I myself regard that as racist. Um and by the way with Megan, I don't I mean Megan amazes me because I didn't even think of her as being what do they call it now? A, a, a POC, a person of color. I mean, here's a woman who was giving an interview in an area of America that is 90% white, and not just white, but white millionaires and billionaires claiming to be oppressed. And I just I didn't accept that. And I mean, you can, you can play the race card well, you can play it badly. I think there is real racism. I think there is systemic racism. I don't deny any of that. I've seen racism in many different ways. But what I'm fed up of is white middle-class liberals going around and saying everyone, you know, if, if you've read White Fragility, for example, which is one of the most dreadful books ever, I think that middle-class liberals are encouraging racism. They're turning people into racists. They're pushing people towards racism. I didn't even consider Megan to be, uh, what did they say, person of color. And when she said in the interview, you know, oh, the, the royal family missed a trick because they, the, when girls in Kenya could have looked at someone like me and said, oh, she's just like us. She looks like us. No, she doesn't. And I'm fed up with this judging people 
by their skin color. I think it's an absolutely appalling thing to do. And I think that what Megan was doing was, I mean, I think she played lots of cards, by the way. Now, um, I, I thought it was a, one of the most disingenuous interviews I've ever seen. I thought it was typical Oprah, tell us your truth. But isn't there some truth to that? Because, I mean, uh, my, my initial thing when I read the article was, if I'm honest, why write it? Why bother? Like, I, I actually couldn't see why anyone would, like, I, I, it, the whole notion of whether whether a Christian should watch an interview with some people from the royal family or not seems to me completely inane. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care. Like, if, like I, there really are so many more problems in the world and things worth discussing that it's not something I even really have a view. I'm just like, it's just like, you know, do you, should a Christian watch EastEnders? Or I don't, it, it just seems inane. So I mean, what, well, what what made you what made you want to even write it to to begin with? Well, I was asked to. That was the first but, thing. What no, made, I said, what, why didn't you just say like why did you what was it you that interested yeah, you about well, it? That, well, okay, let me answer that. I mean, because I was asked to in the same way I was asked to come on the show, hmm. you know, um, uh, and a lot of people would think that what we were discussing might be inane or whatever. I do think the royal. I mean, if I'd say, if I'd said what I really thought, you know, in some sense, because I'm I'm not actually even a royalist, I, you know. Um, I, I think Oliver Cromwell was correct, you know, and I think one of the great days of English history is the beheading of Charles I. But um, I, I, the fact is, the reason I wrote it, the reason I said to do it was because I knew it would be a cultural event. And I think you're right. It is inane. It teaches us a lot about our culture. It was an, an inane interview. Um, I also knew, by the way, the one thing I did, if I thought, do you know this, you're going to be touching some, some of the shibboleths and idols of our culture, and there will be a backlash. Um, I just hadn't expected the editor to be so spineless. Um, uh, you know, and you, I didn't set out to offend anybody. But if we, don't, if we don't touch these cultural issues, and by the way, I think writing about why what, watching EastEnders, I'd be, you know, for people... Who, I'd be happy to do that as well. That's, you know, um, there's, 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 I would have no qualms about that. Are we really saying we live in an age where people cannot express an opinion without having their head bitten off? And are we really saying that we're in a culture where Christian wise, we're getting magazines and publishers and others saying, no, 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 don't say that because it will upset people. It's, are we just reduced now to saying these are the fundamentals of the gospel and this is what we're going to talk about. And that's it. We're never going to say anything that upsets anybody. I, 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 I can't do that. Just just on that point, I mean, there's, there's certain things that you wouldn't say in a Christian magazine anyway, so that they ask you to make sure that your language is appropriate. And I think with, with I'm still trying to get my head around the race car because the, the only time I hear that used is generally to say someone's being playing the victim, but also it's generally not used by anyone of colour. Well, that's wrong. Uh, I, I, no, it's wrong. That's wrong. Um, one of my guy, one guy said to me, uh, he said, David, listen, mate. Um, I, he said, when I are when when I argue against you, he says, all I have to do is just play my race, and I and I get a lot of sympathy. He said, it's easy done. So no, it, of course it can be done. The fact, look, the trouble is we go black and white on absolutely everything. So people say, well, if you use the phrase race card, then it's a dog whistle to races. So are you really saying that nobody ever plays the race card? Or on the other hand, when someone complains about racism, are you really saying that all they're doing is playing the race no, card? No, I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying it's not possible 
to to play a victim based on and, and to use things to your advantage. I think it's more trying to look at your article rather than the, the general trend of culture at the moment, but just looking at, at the way that it came across in the article was that, uh, and I'm try, trying to keep to those questions, is uh, I guess I can't see it, it, in that circumstance, it feels like you're reading a motivation into an interview that I, I'm very wary of reading motivation into anyone. It, it, because partly because they might be the shibboleths, partly because well she might have actually experienced racism, but because it's an experience, we can't we can't gather the fact whether or not she did or she didn't. But she's saying she did in an interview about her experience through Harry, who shared the story with her. So I mean, it's it's convoluted, of course. It's not the place really to air the grievance with the royal family, but whether she didn't or didn't saying that she's now playing the race card assumes that she didn't. No, she could have played the race card and it could have been right. She could actually have, uh, she could actually have experienced racism and, you know, uh, uh, and the, and yet, you know, use that to try and get sympathy. So for example, I, as I mentioned already, I was seriously ill. I can use my experience to trump, you know, other people's and say, look, you've got to believe me because that, that's part of the problem with culture. Right now, we are privileging certain lived experiences over fact because you cannot question what someone has has experienced. And incidentally, Megan's thing, what I did in the article was I made a series of prophecies, inverted commas, about what she would say, what I thought she would say. Every single one of them was right. People thought I was a prophet, but I had to point out I just read what had been carefully trailed. I mean, the whole thing was, in my view, having, I didn't say this in the article before, but afterwards I would say that the whole thing was obscene. So, for example, when she said about racism, she offered no evidence whatsoever, none. But could she? Look, I'm just, yes. just wondering if, the, if it was the other way around and she said, this is who said what on Oprah, like, how would that got her down? Like, the, royal, the royalists, for what? one, have <laughs> already yeah. called her a racist or, like, have, like there's the other there is the extreme here who would agree with you that she's played the race card and, and this is where i'm trying to find the nuance because there are a bunch of people that are like yes yeah, she's played the race card she didn't experience racism she's just trying to explode the royal family i think you're kind of closer to the she's she's played this to get sympathy which maybe isn't as extreme as just saying oh no and she's played it to get money she's played it to justify herself and these are a couple of multi-millionaires sitting talking about how they're oppressed i i don't buy it at all and also i think they're using uh, they're, they're they're trivializing a really serious subject which is racism and yes she did she you know it's a bit like me saying well so-and-so sexually abused me or someone in that family sexually abused me, but I'm not telling you what they did and I'm not telling you who they are. The whole family gets tainted and that's exactly what happened. I mean, they, their PR people within 24 hours put out a thing saying, oh, it wasn't the Queen and it wasn't Prince Philip, you know, because they knew the harm it was done. It was very, very calculated. And by the way, I had numerous people write me after that article because the only one piece of evidence offered, which people may comment on, was remarking on the color of the baby's skin. I had numerous people from mixed marriage families who said that's precisely the question their relatives asked and they even thought themselves. So assuming that that is racist, to me, 
the whole thing is an indicator of how woke our society has become and how down that route, whole route it has gone. And it's interesting because what you're asking me seems to be that I have to take account of and bow down to a particular group of people, but not to others. So it's not extreme to say she played the race card. What, how is that extreme? It's true. It's true. It's extreme if you think saying play the race card means you're a Nazi or you're defending racism, which I absolutely not. But I refuse to give in to letting people take the English language and mangle it and that everything I say has to be filtered mm. through a kind of woke sieve so that, you know, you can't talk about male and female anymore, for example. Can I just, just to push back a little bit on that, because... Uh, uh, again, it's down to motivation. I, whether she's doing it for the money, whether she's doing it to taint the royal family, whether she's doing it for press, I have no. I, I don't know how you know those things. I think that's a definite perspective on yeah. on the interview. But but it could also be she's experienced racism. She's upset. She's hounded by the press and wants to tell her story as factually as she can in a controlled environment where she she can tell her narrative tell her truth to be woke like there's there's another perspective here and i think the way that your your article came across i would say because and i messaged dan <laughs> like we're not ones to cancel and i think this is really healthy to have this conversation and i'm really interested in your perspective on it but the the way it came across was that you kind of can read her mind about how she feels victimized and oppressed. I'm not even I'm not even sure that's how I see what she said is like I've so I mean they're they're obviously the this this kind of part of the racism thing and go to the fact that she talked about feeling suicidal and um like can people in their position be vulnerable about their experience without being accused of playing a card for sympathy? Yeah, question there. Yeah, well, okay. But the point, again, the point of that is just, is fairly straightforward. You're right. It is another perspective. So why is that perspective not allowed to be said? That, that, that's one, the thing that's accusatory, though. Well, sorry, anything can be accusatory. You can read it as accusatory if you want. And, and I do love the thing about the controlled environment. You know, yeah. she's not wanting to avoid the press. No, of course. I'm sorry, but, the, 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 you know, somebody who signs up deals with Spotify and Netflix and does interviews with Oprah is not wanting to avoid the press or to avoid scrutiny. Someone who has a press office that has, I think, four people within it and is spinning all over the place. No, no, no. I don't buy into that at all. I'm asking, why does she get such protection from people? You know, it's it's back to the culture we're living in. We're living in this culture where there's extremes. You're either pro-Megan or anti-Megan. All I did was predict what she would say. And everything I said she would say, she did say. Now, does she get to say it? I mean, if she goes into public and gives an interview, makes accusations, says things, is that unquestionable? Or if you question it, are you then guilty of racism? And that's the sad position we're in within society. And it's a sad position we're in within the church because I got canceled by a Christian magazine for writing an article they asked me to write, which they initially accepted, mm. and then in effect accused me of racism. 
Now, of course, we're going to look at people's motivations. There's almost nothing that you write that doesn't. What I'm not is an absolute judge. I cannot say for definite that this is what she thinks or this is what she feels. And you'll note in the article, I never did that. I commented on what she said. Did she play the race card? Yes, she did. Was she right to play it? Well, from my point of view, I didn't say that in the actual article. The follow-up article or the, the one about the actual interview said simply, no, she didn't offer any evidence. And she really didn't. But what she did was taint and damage the royal family. Now, whether she intended to do that or not, I don't know. But I am not going to uh, have myself curtailed by people who accuse me of racism because they're reading, ironically, they're reading into my words the very thing you're saying, motivation. Sure. Now, I hope, hope that hasn't come across for me. But the look, I, for one thing to clarify, I don't, I don't think, I don't personally think that that phrase uh, makes you racist, but I think it, it's a, a problematic phrase. I, I, I really do. And I think you can ask the questions you're asking that I mean, there's loads in your article that I want to say that I, I agree with the the idolization of celebrity, the the whole thing of this controlled environment where she spins the story. All of that I think need to be critiqued and need to be critiqued well. Um, but I, I'm I'm just not sure about that phrase. The the did she play the race card? I don't know because the, and I think the reason for that pushback. Is that I don't know how you can say that. Uh, oh. Sure, she brought she brought race up. She made it as a, but but the fact that the whole the whole phrase has always been, as far as I can find out, is a, a way to say you are playing the victim. And she is, but she is playing the victim. That's the point. And, and I don't think anyone. I mean, and I think to say that it's it's this bizarre thing that you 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 know, and and you don't want controversy. Virtually anything that you can say nowadays will be used controversially. Somebody once said to me, David, you could put up that the sun is shining and it would cause an argument. People read, it's, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the thing of motivation because people read motivation into it. And I wish that people would deal with this a little bit more logically. So Megan's truth, inverted commas, was that the royal family was racist. That's what the, that's what the interview said, that she'd been hard done by, although she'd received over 20 million quid you know, really hard done by. And and she played the victim card. She played the race card. And by the way, the mental health thing. Again, Oprah, you'll notice Oprah doesn't do what you guys do, which is question. What Oprah, all Oprah did is, all Oprah does is just emote feeling. And I'm telling you, we are in deep trouble. We are going to get absolutely hammered as Christians if that, and I think it has been, I think it's taken hold certainly amongst the upper middle classes um, that, that, that attitude, but the mental health thing, when she said, you know, you know, I, I contemplated suicide. I wonder how many of us have not at some times thought of dying. I, 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 she didn't, by the way, think she'd thought of killing herself, but wishing you were dead. I mean, have you ever wished you were dead? I have, mm. but, and if, and if I use that in an interview and if I say, well, do you know, Mr. Dawkins, when I read your book, it just made me feel suicidal. Does that negate Richard Dawkins book? Can I use that card? No. And again, I think that depends what, you know, like you said, you can have this sort of, um, you know, uh, sort of existential angst, you know, a certain situation, oh, I wish I wasn't alive, you know, uh, you know, after, you know, during an illness or something like that. But that would be, that would be different to something that would be comparatively rare, like sort of having suicidal ideation and things like that. 
And I, uh, again, I'm not sure what she meant. I, I, I think I'd understand what she said. It was more the suicidal ideation rather than this expression of I wish I didn't exist. So, but now you're judging uh, motivation. No, I'm saying I don't know. I said that's what yeah, exactly. I understood. Um, yeah. and so, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, 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 it's impossible to do. Like it, it's impo impossible to, to dialogue with someone without, uh, without interpreting what they said in a certain way. Um, yes. I, I don't know whether you're right or I'm right. I'm saying that that's how I un understood it. And I think if, again, so if I were to write it, I, you know, I, there would be things I, uh, I would have I would have framed it in a different way because my understanding was different. You've come to a different interpretation, and uh, I guess what you've said is actually far more is understandable in light of that uh, in interpretation. I mean, something I'm I'm interested in is um, is is the aftermath of what actually what actually happened. Mm -hmm. So they took the article down. Now, uh, f for me, it would have been. Um, you know, uh, a better thing to do, which I'm sure would have been to maybe ask you to respond to the criticism. Obviously, you received a lot of criticism, not mm. always framed in the in the most constructive sense, from what I understand. Um, would that would have been your preference? You know, I've, you know, to to actually be giving a, a, an opportunity to to respond like you're doing now to some of those uh, objections, rather than being, um, you know, sort of copying, um, you know, the secular sort of cancel culture with with we've observed and now replicating within the sort of Christian community. Yeah, they took the article down. I mean, I can't um, speculate as to motive. I don't know why, but uh, as, as someone who's been an editor, I think it's an appalling thing to do, to do something like that. Uh, I think then um, publicly tweeting out an apology, tagging my name on it for it was uh, unbelievable. And, you know, it does me a, a great deal of harm and, you know, this this from a magazine who who had no problem at all in in publishing, for example, Steve Chalk, who I find just enormously offensive in terms of the gospel and mm -hmm. deeply hurtful in terms of you know what 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 Jesus has done and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, yeah, th th there's a there's a there's a sense of priorities and and different things that are involved in all of that. But no, I mean, I I'm I find myself in a position that, um, do you know, all of the criticism I got from that was, I think, with one exception, white people, and a lot of the support I got was from what is now termed people of color, although I object to that term, and I thought that was just fascinating. And from a wider perspective, I think the church should stop mirroring the concerns of the society, particularly the concerns of the elites in society. I think labeling the royal family as racist, labeling Britain as racist is utterly ridiculous. Britain is one of the most racially tolerant countries in the world. Is there racism? Absolutely. Is there a problem with it? Absolutely. But on a comparative level, and I, I just object to... Um, American cultural race wars being brought into Britain and being used in that way. There's so much that's inconsistent and so much that's wrong. And I don't think the church go along. So you guys are perfectly right to push back against using the idea of the race card. I don't have any problem with that. And I wouldn't have minded the premier saying we, we don't agree with you or having someone write a response themselves. You know, that, that would have been fine. But just 
to give in to the mob, which is it. I mean, the article was initially accepted as fine. Nobody saw anything wrong with it. And then suddenly, this is very typical of where we're at today. Somebody, some, someone announces something's wrong with it. I suspect there are articles today and books today that are considered, well, they're fine. And in five years' time, there'll be Christians on saying, oh, no, no, that was insensitive. So, um, you know, it's like TV shows. You know, Dad's Army, that's out. Friends, that's out. I suspect Morecambe and Wise would be out. You know, and, and I just don't think we should go along with it. And I think we should learn. There's a, uh, you know, the phrase, speak the truth in love. Um, I think that what's happening is sometimes there are people who speak the truth in hate. And sometimes there are people, there are people who speak lies supposedly in love. Um, they speak it in a very, very nice way. I think Oprah does that. I think Oprah, uh, the theology of Oprah, the philosophy of Oprah is absolutely um, decimating and destructive to so many people. And so that's my, my, that's my objection to the whole thing. I mean, the, I, I agree with you. The inanity of two billionaires sitting talking about oppression is, I mean, I would not watch that were it not for the fact that I'd thought it would be a cultural thing that I should comment on. And I'm, I'm glad I did, but I'm just disappointed at um, what happened out of it. Yeah. But I, I, I'm I mean, sorry. I, I'm, I'm not going to back down on it. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> not, you know, there are things that are, that there are many things I've said. I mean, I, I, I think out loud, which means I think and say things that are wrong. But I'll tell you this, I, I know I'm fed up of Christians saying things in private and then in public saying something different because they don't want to offend people. I, I just, I cannot abide that. I, I agree. I, I do want to just push back. I came, became aware of your article because Ben Lindsay tweeted it. Uh, ben Lindsay is the guy who wrote, um, we need to talk about race. And yeah. that's, that's one of the top books I'd recommend to people on the conversation, given that it's not going down the uh, a critical theory route, but really trying to work out how the gospel speaks across uh, racial racial tensions and lines. And and his his comment wasn't positive, <laughs> like that yeah. about about the race card. So I guess just to kind of put closure on it, I I would highly uh, counsel anyone writing on that just to not use that phrase. I think it's a inflammatory phrase that just will will get you into trouble unnecessarily and i think i think you could critique ha harry and megan in all in so the, the thing that i'm finding is the stuff that i agree with that uh that is bad taste the, the two these these two seem to portray a, a a perspective on themselves they want the world to believe that yes they're hard done by uh yes they're being hounded by the press but here i am with all these uh, things that I can control because I've got the money uh, to spin this story. So I, there's there's stuff I really can agree with, but then yeah, I, I get I guess just as a kind of final closure on this article from my perspective is that the tone of it just seemed to come across really like you woken up at four thirty and rushed off an article. <laughs> it just seemed to uh, no, but yeah, listen, I, I, but you can't. I'm I'm not going to let you away with that though because what you just said to me is that I can mention everything except the one thing, the main thing that she uses to gain sympathy and which causes all this fuss. Now, if I accuse Ben of playing the race card or just anybody playing the race card, it's a thing I would say very little. But there is no question that she uses the issue of race 
and family, by the way, as well, and, uh, and her own dysfunctional family and everything else involved in that. There is no question that she uses that to gain sympathy. And I think that's harmful to the whole cause of anti-racism. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to keep silent about one of the main factors involved in that um, when I was asked to comment on it. Now, what you're doing, although it's, and, and, it, and I don't think it's helpful in this sense, is saying, don't say, I mean, so, okay, maybe you've got to say it, but use another phrase. And I'm, I'm refusing to let language be used in that way. Was what I said untrue? The answer is no, it was absolutely true. Was what I could could what I said be misinterpreted? Yes, it could. And if you if you want to go around accusing people of racism, you can do that. Could I have expressed it by saying instead of playing the race card, she would use um, the 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 color of her skin as uh, uh, and complain about racism? Well, how is that any different? You know, somebody here suggested, why didn't you just go along with? There was a, a newspaper here that said she weaponized racism and healthcare. Well, I think weaponizing is a lot <laughs> worse than than playing a card. But listen, we had a question about critical race theory, and I, I would I would really like to answer that yeah, before. Yeah, we go. no, that's fine. I, I'm one. happy with that pushback, and we'll, we'll close it off there. I think yeah. I think we clear our, our positions on it. So the the question. Yeah, and thank you, by the way, thank you, and and it's good to get that pushback. That's that, that's it makes first of all it makes your your show a whole lot more interesting, and <laughs> uh, uh, and and secondly, it it's I mean that's that's how we learn. It's I mean it's this is missing so much from contemporary culture where people say, well, we can't say what we think. So you think that me using that was wrong? And I say, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think you're wrong thinking it was wrong. And of course, <laughs> of, of, of course <laughs> I'm right. And, I'm yeah. right and you're an evil scumbag and I'll never talk to you again. You know? <laughs> we don't but do no, thing on this show. We, so, we just disagree, look, we just disagree about it. And that's fine. And thank you for the pushback. I think that the thing that's most frustrating um, <coughs> Is 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 seeing the article get pulled? I found that mm -hmm. I was quite disheartened by that because um, I'm a, a, a big a big advocate, uh, you know, of, of of freedom and speech, and I think it's it's just absolutely paramount to preserving everything that's good. Um, I think in in, in mm -hmm. not everything. I shouldn't. That's too strong. But many of the good things that, that, yeah. that we enjoy um, mm -hmm. in a sort of liberal society, and and to see that reflected so quickly and embraced and celebrated um was disheartening because yeah. um you know we should we shouldn't we shouldn't be replicating what uh the bad things i think culture is 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 doing and then christianizing them and um and and, and you know as much as i you know, might disagree with you on some things and other people I certainly want the, the 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 best the best way to disagree is just and especially I'm not saying yours as an example but you know of 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 of, of addressing bad ideas is exposing them to to challenges and and disagreement and letting people read two sides or three or four sides and coming to an informed conclusion I think just removing things and pretending they didn't they were never said is is, yeah, um, I've hard. got a title for a show for you. How about critical thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're close. We'll, get, yeah. we'll stick thinking in the in between witness and critical. <laughs> yeah, critical witness. Yeah, let's go with that. Go with All that. right. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Peter, Can we do the two questions? Yeah, Peter. Byron, yeah, we do. So. Have, we do have two questions. So let, let's get them. We're, we're at an hour and a half, and we, we don't yeah. want to. 
uh, yeah. You got to go. Do it, I'll do. I'll do it quickly without mentioning the race card. On you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got. It's about critical race theory to some mm. extent, but I think it provides a solution to this kind of conversation anyway. And um, I, I do want to clarify. I'm a big fan of freedom of speech, and I didn't mean to say don't use that phrase. I mean, don't expect things not to blow up if you do use yeah. that phrase. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. More than welcome to use that phrase. Right. Uh, it just might you might find yourself in some trouble. Um, here we go. Here's the question: What solution does Christianity offer for opposing and defeating racism, oppression, and abuses of power? The critical theory does not. And why is Christianity's solution better? So uh, again, with the caveat that's in the question is not to critique critical race theory in itself, but what is the solution that Christianity provides? And I like you put power in that because I think there is a dynamic we haven't really talked about with the whole interview anyway. There was a power dynamic and I think you've hinted at it. How does Christianity solve this issue without talking about critical race theory? <laughs> well, except I think there is comparing critical race theory as, a, as an option. And so therefore, you know, I can't answer the question without mentioning critical race theory, yeah. which the, the big difference between what I'm going to say and critical race theory is this is, first of all, I think critical race theory is false. And secondly, I think it's racist and I think it will increase racism. And I am, I think, so disappointed that so much of the progress that had been made on racism is now being undone by people who say they're anti-racist. But that's part of the chaos that society has fallen into. What Christianity offers is simply this. Professor John Haldane, Roman Catholic philosopher, University of St. Andrews. Um, I heard him once give a lecture on equality. And basically, equality is a non-scientific doctrine of modern society. Um, I'm not equal to Usain Bolt in terms of speed. I'm not equal to you guys in terms of good looks or intelligence. You know, I'm not equal to... There's a whole bunch of things that how do we get this idea of equality? And the idea of equality comes simply from this. The foundational bedrock of it is that every single human being is made in the image of God. You know, in the old kids uh, Sunday school chorus, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. So I think what Christianity offers is an understanding of humanity. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that um, I, I struggle to accept that the concept of race is a biblical one. Um, and I, uh, that, you know, I think that the, the notion that we divide fundamentally by skin color is to me absolutely appalling and unbiblical. And it's why I oppose the idea of white churches or black churches or churches according to ethnic groups, because I think that's fundamentally against, um, the new Testament church. So what we offer, I remember at one, um, atheist guy coming to me and said, David, uh, he'd been to the church a couple of times. He said, I hate, I hate, and I mean it. He said, I hate everything you teach, but I want everything you've got. And he said, I look around your church and, I, and he said, we talk about it, diversity. You've got it. His atheist society was all white, stale, pale male. You know, um, we were just a, a variety of, of different backgrounds, majority white, because that's the culture in which we lived but there were people from every continent and every skin color and living together, united and focused around Jesus Christ. So I would say Christianity must and does offer an answer to racism that the world cannot offer. 
and all that the world is offering to deal with racism is more racism. Go on, Dan. <laughs> no, no, so I, I thought I thought, it, I thought it paused. I thought it paused, Dan. Um, no, so when I pause, you jump in because otherwise I'll go for another hour. No, no, we're still learning. No, no, but that's no. That, that, listen, that's my answer, guys. I mean, the, the the answer you you can't. I can't. I remove somebody from my church because they were racist. You know, I regard it as a sin, and a, a sin that that should be disciplined as much as sexual sin or greed or idolatry. It 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 is it's just wicked and it's just wrong. Um I mean I wrote uh, another piece recently and it's it's so interesting because I in in London and and well in the UK I tended to get on better in the black majority churches than almost in any other church. I don't know why. Um but just one of this thing one of the things was I just thought you know, I, I just genuinely believe that all people are human beings and should not be judged by their skin color. You know, and I just, I, I find the notion that you judge someone by their skin color just wicked yeah. from any side. Yeah, I think, um, from, you know, from the Bible, you know, it's a sin of partiality, you know. Uh, you know, I think racism fall, falls falls under that. I mean, I think the we, we've talked a bit about before with, with quite a few guests about uh, critical race theory. I think, I think like you said, uh, I, I tend to agree with you in terms of it worsening racial relations between races, assuming that's a legitimate term to use anyway, because what it does is it presumes that every social interaction uh, every structure, racism is present. It's not. It, it asks a, a fundamentally. Um, it, it, it brings a presumption into every interaction. It's not whether how did racism occur. It's not whether not sorry not whether or not racism occurred. It's how it occurred, and that's actually quite a, a scary assumption to bring into every interaction. Presuming now you have Christians believing that you know in the church, you know actually it's it's the question is not has racism occurred it's how has it occurred how do mm -hmm. we yeah and that is to me I, I just can't i can't see any way that that can be helpful uh and and lead to anything other than increased division uh not not less of it and it and mm -hmm. it, it I, I find it scary because i just think mm -hmm. this is um this is horrible it's a it's it's a it's a horrible assumption to bring to every interaction as if mm -hmm. when i'm speaking with a um, you know, a darker skinned Christian brother or sister that they they might be again. Not, I don't think most do, but but you know, looking at that interaction and seeing um, and, and 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 trying to think and and mind read about how racism is occurring during this this struggle of power uh, and it, it, it's 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 pernicious and and and, and horrible. And like you said, the the, the idea of, of human equality is one rooted in the Judeo Christian view. But you know um, that that's a that we're, we're riding on the, the the sort of borrowed capital of that idea now, um, mm -hmm. and we're seeing it kind of come come to an end. And it's I don't know, it doesn't look good to me. I'm, no. I'm kind of split on it. So there's there's two ways. I mean, I work for Friends International, so they, and we're talking about being inquisitive. And and my con there, my concern side is like yeah I'm I'm on it with a concern if there is this assumption of racism can I be inquisitive <laughs> so that natural inquisitiveness about the color of a baby's skin 
for I've I've heard the same as you, David. I've, I've heard that's a fairly natural question, um, and oftentimes babies will come out white and their colours will change as they get older. So it's a hard question to answer anyway. Um, <laughs> and and so the natural inquisitive, can I ask a question about you that might be related to your culture, your ethnicity, even your skunk skin colour out of curiosity without being a labelled a racist? That That is a concern because I work with volunteers who I'm trying to, and Brits are horrible at talking about cross-cultural stuff anyway and and walking across cultural lines is difficult enough as it is without the concern of being called a racist is that we're we're afraid of offending people anyway (laughs) and so this Mm -hmm. just kind of enhances that but the the other aspect is when we're so that's the concern and I, i share it there's the other aspect of it that i see people responding to critical race theory, to the race card, to the and and sort of doubling down as a I have the right to speak, <laughs> I have the right to to say this, and and I guess where I'm seeing the gospel come into play into this is well actually that there's got to be a sense of dare I say it, laying down some rights, laying down our um, right to say that even if it does offend just saying look okay i hear you this is and sort of sharing our concerns in in a a different way while while listening and i don't know what that looks like yet i don't have a solution but the gospel cuts across those lines um in a way that i I guess those of us in the majority just need to maybe (laughs) chill out a bit about crt and humble ourselves a little bit listen a bit more and and I think, yeah, the, the, the gospel is cross-cultural, a beautiful thing, but it's still there's this diversity because we, we hear the difference. There's different languages, different tribes, different uh, tongues at the throne of God. So there is going to be difference, but there is going to be unity. And, and I don't see either side, CRT or anti-CRT, I don't see either side getting that right at the moment. I see... One's just attacking anything that sounds remotely woke. The other is trying to defend something because they see it as lifting up the oppressed. <laughs> they see biblical language in CRT. Um, no, you, you, you don't, but you don't have extremes. Now, the point is you're presenting it in such an extreme position. So that's what you do. I mean, it's, it's, it's a standard thing that I would, uh, that I, you know, I would often do in a debate. You present on the one hand this, and on the other hand mm-hmm. that, and just drive through the middle. Now, for me... You're asking, what does the gospel do? Well, first of all, the gospel simply tells us, yeah, because you, you, the, you know, we are to treat all human beings as made in the image of God. Uh, it also tells us that we are to respect one another and we to do to others as we to have them do to us and so on. There's a whole range of different things that that apply. It gives us an intellectual basis, a spiritual basis, and it gives us a lot of guidelines. And that's what I would say that we would do. But the trouble is when we start using phrases like, the majority. Sorry, who's the majority? I don't feel that I'm part of a majority at all. In fact, I'm very much in a minority. The majority at the moment in our culture, particularly of those who are the opinion formers, are those who um, put forward critical race theory and its equivalent. And I think critical race theory is a doctrine of demons. I think it's a completely false 
way of describing things. I think it's fundamentally anti-Christian. I think it brings in division. It brings in hatred. It has a view of history, which is just bizarre uh, and, and uh, ahistorical. And then people say, well, if you disagree with this, you're racist or you're hurting my feelings. I mean, I had a man just before I came in here, it was quite interesting. He was tweeting me about something like this. And um, he, you know, he was going on about uh, you know, all this. And I said, well, you're a middle-aged white man, so you're a racist. I'm sorry. And he said, well, no, I'm not. But I said, yes, you, you espouse critical race theory, which says that. And he says, well, I'm married to a black, black person. I said, well, that's just paternalism. You know, if you accept the theory, you have to set, accept that, that, that if you're white, you are de facto privileged and racist. And when I think of, when I contrast someone like Meghan Markle claiming to be a victim of oppression with many of the, the, the people in the housing schemes in Dundee, I, when I think of, of women who gave up meals, stopped eating for two meals a day so that they could feed their kids and they're white, I'm thinking, no, this is all wrong. I refuse to use the narrative of a society when I've got a biblical narrative, which is much, much better. And I'm not going to be, you know, basically, it seems to me that the, the woke elites, and I will use that phrase because I think it, it is what it is, and I think it's true, are, are, are far more concerned about elitist causes that they can virtue signal on than they are about the poor. And my concern in this is absolutely with the poor. Mm -hmm. So, and, and now one of the factors involved in that is that um, there is no question at all that in some areas of London, for example, being particularly Afro-Caribbean meant that you, you're going to face a whole bunch of issues of, of poverty that are to do with your skin color. And there's something just incredibly wrong with that. Um, but equally, what about, let's say, in Yale in the US, where if you're Asian, you're discriminated against because you're too smart? You know, and there's, there's a whole bunch of different... When, when you do the, the, the gospel answer to Peter's question, the gospel answer is a Christian runs a million miles from identity politics, a million miles. I'm not going there. I refuse to go there. I'm, I'm not going to judge someone by an identity that either they claim for themselves or is imposed on them in society when I've got a much deeper identity. And by the way, that goes with sexuality as well. I refuse to judge someone on the basis of their uh, either perceived or or passed on uh, sexuality. I mean, when someone comes up to me, as, as has happened several times, and said, hi, I'm John and I'm gay, my response is, I'm David and I'm not. I guess we're never going to get it on. You know, wh 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 why did you ask that? You know, why did you say that? Why are you making? So I am not buying into identitarian politics, whether it's racist or not. And where I agree with you, by the way, is I do think your culture and where you're from is actually quite important. You know, um, I remember a West Indian Baptist pastor in London coming out to my church in the Scottish Highlands, and we absolutely loved him. I mean, there were some church cultural differences, like we had real alcohol in the communion wine, which was a bit of a shock for him. Uh, as he nearly choked when he took it. But apart from that, apart from that, I remember he was asked a question, which now would be deemed a racist question about marrying someone of a different skin color. And actually he was very cautious. He said it would be difficult in some circumstances from both sides. Hmm. And I thought his remarks were wise and were pastoral and realistic. Um, 
I'm thankful to be honest, by the way, that I think I'm, 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 this may be wrong, but I think the UK is the number one country in the world for mixed race marriages, far, far more than the US. And by the way, I do think I, I don't want US politics imported here, although it's a bit late. Agreed. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that systemic racism in much of US culture is a major issue that the church needs to deal with because it's within the church and Obama's comment and numerous other people's comment that we, we all go to the same baseball game, but we split to go to different churches. To me, that's an absolute abomination. And I've witnessed it and seen it in, um, in the Southern US and I'm not disputing it's a serious thing. All I'm disputing is that we divide into these two tribes of either your woke or your critical race theory. Sorry, you're either critical race theory and woke or you're you're just a far right reactionary to it. I just think uh, Christian uh, goes a different way. I think uh, I hope it's coming across that I'm trying to find that middle line. Not yeah. that the gospel's the, the dead center because I don't think it, the gospel's going to attack. <laughs> it's a totally different path, and we've got to recognize that. And and so while I'm, I, I share many of the concerns with how far critical race theory can go. Uh, I want to caveat that with I'm also wary of, of people making it the thing simply by being against it. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. Being known that they're against it. And so there's there's so much in what, what you just said that, yeah, I'm, I'm nodding along going, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also this, so it's trying to, and I guess that's the thing with these things, it's trying to find that nuance and, and where the gospel completely cuts across critical race theory, but also there's this wonderful, beautiful picture of all nations uh, coming before the throne of God, and we, we, we want to see that. And, and I'm glad we can agree on, yeah, I, I see systemic racism as a thing, both in states, and I, I think I think it's here as well. I don't think, um, maybe not in the same way, but I, I mean, there's ways it is in education, um, looking at how, how people are that. picked up. But yeah, there's 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 a load in there, but that's that's another topic, so I won't, I won't start that. But um, we, I think there's the stuff we can clearly agree on uh, that all the, the racism side of things is wrong. <laughs> we yeah. need to kind of... But we also, but instead of just agreeing on it, we need to see what practically can be done about it. Yeah. So one of the things is simply to recognize, hey, listen, whatever color you are, you can be racist as well. Hmm. You know, it does happen. And I just think that we're allowing this whole narrative to be dominated by white, Western, liberal, progressive guilt. And I just think we've got to stop that. You know, and, and this this comes back to playing cards. We've got to stop playing cards. Mm. What we've got to do is do the, the, I mean, we go much deeper because what you say, I agree with, it's a bit like someone who says, I'm anti-abortion, I'm anti-abortion, and they don't care for single moms or they don't, you know, they don't understand that there are some people who will really, really struggle in having another child and need support and help. You cannot be anti-something unless you're pro-something. And for me, because I'm pro-Jesus Christ and because God created humanity and, and, and all the rest of it, I, I cannot be racist. I mean, I, I, can't, I, don't know, I don't know how much I would stress this. If someone in my church was a racist, I would not allow them to be a member of the church because I would regard that as a deliberate and fundamental sin against the gospel. And I, and I wish that we would you know, be stronger on these issues. The trouble is when all the time we're just going along with or, or allowing ourselves to be dictated to by one part of culture. And that is, I'm afraid, more and more what what, what is happening. Yeah. Guys, is there, was there any other questions? Because I'm going to have yeah. to go fairly soon, that's, and I'm sure, 
I'm sure if there's any listeners left, they must be bored out of their skull with me. <laughs> uh, we've had some really good comments, actually, and I think yeah. even uh, this one's a nice one. That is uh, phenomenally respectful dialogue with people who clearly greatly disagree. I'm, I'm glad that's coming across, that we can remain civil and brothers in, in Christ uh, in this, and and hopefully modelling something we'd like to see more in culture. The, the last question always is, who should we listen to or read or maybe your top three uh, go-tos for anyone looking for a new book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, listen, actually, I'm not, by the way, I, I'm not sure we profoundly disagree, but that's another I, I think there's enough in there to agree with. Yeah. No, no I, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, 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 I don't find a profound disagreement. I just, the only thing I think we disagree with or is the use of my, my use of the phrase, the race card. And actually I could be wrong with that. So, you know, I, I, it's not the kind of thing I lie awake at night and sleep about you know, and, and can't sleep and go, Oh dear. You know, and, and by the way, the other thing, I just need to say, make this very, very clear. Um, I hate people say people culturally, some people struggle with this, but I hate this kind of reading between the lines thing. I, I say what I think and that's it. And, you know, I, I try not to hold grudges against people. Life is too short and way mm -hmm. things are far uh, too important in terms of that. And for that reason, the things I would mention in this, I find myself as a Christian appreciating. Sadly, I think the Christian church has in the West has largely lost much of its backbone. Um, but I find myself listening to gay atheists like Doug Murray mm -hmm. or somebody like Lionel Shriver, um, Brendan O'Neill, uh, I, I find them very, very, very perceptive in, in, in terms of uh, cultural stuff, although I disagree with a, a lot of what they say as well. So that's that's one, if you like, um, group of people. I think Carl Truman's book, latest book, is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And I would, um, you know, definitely recommend that. It's, it's, it's pretty heavy going but it's helping us understand the sexual revolution and the transgender thing, but in, in a much, much deeper way than is, is usually done. And I think for any Christian, I would definitely, definitely go with that. Um, I find newspapers incredibly difficult because they tend to be just opinion columns now, um, uh, less news than ever. So I tend to read the likes of the spectator who at least allow a variety of opinions and have some intelligent writing um, within them. So, yeah. Um, Sounds good. I don't know. I mean, that, that, have you got a new book coming out? Or well, I, I did. I, I am. I am working on a follow-up to the book I did called Ask. Um, I'll tell you the the one I will mention. Let me see. Uh, Always grabbing the book. Go to the We Flee. Two of them. Yeah, well. that, that that's the ask one, and you know what amazed me about that was it became, it sold really well. Um, it was written for teenagers, but a lot of adults were getting it, and then I realized why, because most adults don't want seven thousand word answers to questions, a seven hundred word answer. And actually, I didn't give an answer. What I did was discussed it and then suggested further reading. So we did everything from suicide to transgender to North Korea to. You know the Bible within that. So I'm, I've I've had so many responses. I'm doing a follow up, but I think the one I would most mention is this: that we need to get back to all the time. You know the answer in terms of critical race theory and all that kind of stuff. I did a thing called Magnificent Obsession: Why Jesus is Great, and just to tell you, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book about God is not great, right? 
he should have been done um, sued for for lying because um, the book wasn't about God. It was about religion. And I remember Dennis de Sousa wrote a response why Christianity is great. And it was the wrong response. That should have been subtitled why American Christianity is the best thing ever in the history of the world, because it was a defense of American Christianity. And I thought, no, no, you, you've got to write about Christ. So I started doing that. And then I ended up being asked by an atheist, well, why do you believe in Jesus? And you've destroyed my atheism. I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. Uh, and, or why do you believe in Christianity? And I said, well, actually, I don't. I actually believe in Jesus. And he said, who's Jesus? Now, he had a vague idea. But I just thought one of our big problems in communication is we need to communicate who Christ is. And so I wrote Magnificent Obsession. And um, for me, that is the absolute key thing. All the things that we discuss will be utterly irrelevant because there is no solution out with Jesus Christ. Um, and I think the solution to, to racism is Jesus Christ. I think the solution to poverty and disharmony and all the other stuff is there. The, the people like Jordan Peterson and, well, maybe Peterson's changing, actually. I think he's much closer now than he was. But generally, the likes of Doug Murray and so on is they would be really happy with Christianity without Christ. Mm. And the guy I mentioned before who said to me, I want what you've got. At one point, he also said to me, David, couldn't we have what you've got without Jesus? And the answer is no. And I think in the, the big cultural thing right now is that there are people who are trying to build utopia through politics. Politics is their religion. They're trying to build it without Christ, and it will lead to hell on earth. And I think that's the direction that we're going. And our solution to that is not to respond by reacting negatively. So that's where I completely agree about you don't go critical race theory, therefore, oh, I'm against it. We have to present something that's positive, and we've got nothing that's more positive than Jesus. So that's that's probably my last word. <laughs> Before I go for breakfast. Yeah, no, we've, we've kept you too longer than uh, we'd in, in, intended. Dan, have you got any uh, last words? Uh, no, no, it was good. I, 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 I've actually got your Ask book on my um, on my Amazon wish list. I haven't got around <laughs> to getting it yet, but I've read all your other books. I've read Magnificent Obsession. That was the response yeah. to uh, Hitchens, Hitchens, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I look forward to, to getting the Ask book. It sounds, it sounds more interesting now. I, I'm a big <laughs> fan of short books now. All right. Yeah, it does look better on Goodreads when you've read more books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We could have a we could we could have a competition. You know, <laughs> I've read three books on critical race theory. By the way, I don't think I've read well, any against. That, that's more than a lot of critics. I find uh, that's, yeah. that's a bugbear for another day. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I've read any against. So I, uh, maybe I should. <laughs> but I anyway, if you if you read the prose and then you can kind of critique it yourself, then that's all good. Yeah. Right. Uh, thank you, David. Thank you so much for extra time and i realize we've we've had a, a healthy discussion and uh really appreciate what you're doing and i, I did Thanks, also guys. appreciate uh, dawkins letters when i read that back in the day so if if you haven't and you if you're listening to this get dawkins letters go back in time a little ways and then uh, see how things have have moved on from those new atheist heydays um so Thank you, David. I'll just close things up. If uh, just a big thanks to our Patreon supporters who have helped us to make sure we can pay for some equipment and for StreamYard. If you'd like to join us on Patreon.com, you can find us at Critical Witness. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for your comments and your questions. Uh, our next show is actually early next week with Peter Williams, who uh, I believe it's the Peter Williams. Can we trust the Gospels? Am I right, Dan? 
Yes. Right, that is the right Peter, Peter Williams. Jay. Peter J. Not, not, not the other one. Not They're the other both one. great. <laughs> Peter They're J. both Williams. great. Um, so that, join us, ask us questions about the Gospels, resurrection, that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm sure Peter J. Williams will be happy to answer those questions. It will be on Tuesday, but um, no, no, it's not. It's Monday night. Monday night. Join us on Monday night. And I'm going to stop here because it's 11.30 and I'm starting to ramble. Have a very good night. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.